Gracious God, as we bow in your presence today, we pray for that stillness in our heart and our mind as we seek to focus upon you and to learn from you. We give thanks for another opportunity where we gather together, and we give thanks, Lord, for this day, the day that you've given to us. It's a special day, a day where we're able to draw aside from all the normal pressures and duties and to be able to, to focus upon you, that it is a time given for the rest of our bodies and the rest of our minds, but particularly uh, for what is most precious to us, our soul. And we pray that as we seek to nourish and feed our bodies, that we will also seek to have our souls nourished, and that we might feed upon the bread of life, which is your word, and that we might come to know you more and more, that you will strengthen us in our inner being, that you will help us to focus upon you and to discover that you are really at the center of everything. This world that you have made, uh, by and large, so many in this world no longer think about you, consider you, because we're commanded in your word to consider even the very creation, to, to look at it and to see that it has been made by you, that by the word of your power you brought into being, and even that uh, your fingers have framed the heavens, uh, the stars, all there is speaking of your majesty, your glory, your wisdom, the amazing mind of God that thought up and brought into being. And uh, we bow before your might, your majesty and glory, and we seek to acknowledge you as our God. We pray for any in here today who might not know you in a personal way. They know about you, they've heard about you, they believe at a one level, there's a belief that they say, I do believe in God. I believe in the word of God. I believe in everything that is said there. But uh, so far, it is an intellectual belief, a belief in the mind. It hasn't touched the heart. And we pray that that will change and that hearts will be opened, that people will come to see Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to accept Jesus, to close in with Jesus as a, as a living and true Savior. We ask, Lord, that you will bless us. Bless us with every spiritual blessing and indeed every temporal blessing as well. We ask then, Lord, as, you come to, as we come to your word, that you'll make it living in our experience, that it will impact our lives. Help us, Lord, not to just come to your word and then dismiss it or just to reflect briefly on it and look on it as just what we do for the hour that we're gathered together here Lord, we pray that we might have a desire that your truth will uh, change our lives, that it will have a meaningful impact so that it, that will be reflected in our day-to-day -day lifestyle, in who we are and what we are and in what we do and where we go. And so we ask, Lord, that you will guide us in everything. We pray, Lord, for those who are in need, and there are so many needs around and about. We pray, Lord, for... Again, for those who mourn, there's, so, there's been so uh, many broken hearts within our communities, and we pray for all those who have experienced loss and pain and suffering and bereavement. Lord, we pray to dry the tears. We pray to mend the broken hearts as you alone can. We continue to remember Ruth and Finley and the respective families as they mourn little uh, Finley Eric's passing. And uh, the hole that will be in their hearts, we pray that 
You will grant them peace and a sense of your purpose, even in the dark and deep things. Likewise, we pray this for all who can in one way or another identify uh, with their sorrow and pain. And we know that it is something that so many have experienced in, in their lives and it leaves a mark, it leaves a sorrow and a pain, but it'll never take away the memory, the precious memories that are there. We give thanks, Lord, for the memories that you've given to us. We're, we're able to remember uh, those who have gone from us. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you will indeed uh, watch over each and every one. Pray for those who are ill, and there's again so many that are laid aside. And uh, we remember in particular just now uh, Norman MacLeod, remember Norman and Delange, remember Christine and Anne as well as uh, they face treatment and the, the going through all that is involved in their illness. Lord, we commit them to you and ask that it might please you to make the treatments effective and that they might know healing and restoration as uh, they are so valuable to us and have been so involved in the work of your cause here. And we remember all your people and all the office bearers over that have been laid aside and uh, those who brought and did so much for your cause and are now unable to do that. We remember them in their old age and in their illnesses. We commit them to your care and keeping. Remember little Jessica, we ask that your blessing will be upon her. Remember John Alec. Remember Annie Mackay, Lord, we ask that your healing hand will be upon her too. And we pray for all who are laid aside at this time. Lord our God, we pray that you will grant us wisdom in our day-to-day dealings with one another. We pray for wisdom for our leaders and all in authority over us. We ask, Lord, that that wisdom will be given uh, from the very top. We ask that, that for our governments in, in Westminster and in Holyrood. We ask it for our local councillors. We pray that, uh, that things will be done more in keeping with your word. We ask, to, Lord, that you will forgive us when we move away from your word, when decisions are made that are contrary to your word and to your law. Oh, have mercy upon us, we pray. Lord, may your people pray for that uh, mercy, because uh, so often we are turning completely away from you. And we, we indeed fear of what may happen because we know that righteousness exalts a nation and that sin is a reproach to any people. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us, we pray. Give thanks, Lord, for all uh, your people and all who are sympathetic to the cause of Christ to have places of influence in our land and pray that more and more uh, will find uh, themselves in such a position. And we ask, Lord, that you will bless the work of the cross throughout this whole world. We remember our missionaries, remember Muriel in Cambodia, we remember all the different, the, 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 the work of Slavic gospel and overseas missionary fellowship. We remember uh, those who might be struggling at this time. Remember those who are uh, working away quietly within the, the Muslim world. We pray, Lord, that you will bless uh, Adam, we pray for Asian outreach, Lord. We ask that you will bless every effort that is made. We ask, Lord, that you will be with uh, the congregation of Leith and uh, they with Bonner Bridge, a new ministry there. Remember Colin and Aileen and Leith, we see that and we're commanded to pray for them this Lord's Day. We ask that your blessing will be upon these congregations. We with Colin as he has 
and big, decision, big decisions to make. We commit them to your care. We remember, Lord, our own congregation here, and we remember uh, that uh, we pray that you will bless uh, Derek Ferguson, Derek and Catherine, who have come with us, and along with little Duncan. We give thanks, Lord, and in anticipation of his time with us, his ministry here, and we give thanks, Lord, for all that you're raising up to go forward to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so we pray uh, that it might be a time of blessing for him and for us as well. Remember Scott, Lord, and pray that you'll bless him and Fiona and the girls. We give thanks, Lord, for his undertaking this program that he's on. We ask, Lord, that you will uh, guide him and lead him and open every door necessary and lead him on in the right way, we pray. Watch over us then, we pray, and do us good and take away from us our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a wee word to, to the young folk. So you know, the, the last few days have been absolutely beautiful. And uh, I think it was Thursday, uh, I was out playing for a wee while with, with Joshua. And he's always, as we know, as I've told you before, he's obsessed with diggers and dump trucks and just every, every kind of lorry. And he knows the name of every single one. And also boats, but he's also obsessed with, with planes. And if at all possible, he wants me to go either to the airport or Stainish in the hope that we'll see a plane taking off or landing or a helicopter taking off or landing. And quite often when he's out, all of a sudden he'll just stop. And it's like he's scanning the sky just to see if by any chance there's a plane. And he almost seems to have a sixth sense when there's a plane coming because he just stops and he'll say, Papa, there's a plane. And, you know, I look around, and, and, and then sure enough, there's one over there. He just seems to have this awareness. But on Thursday, he, he stopped, and he was staring up into the sky for quite a while. And then he says, Papa, the plane, he said, it's so wee, and it's so big. And I thought, what on earth are you talking about? Because it can't be wee and big at the same time. But... I think then I began to understand what he was saying because there was this, it was obviously a transatlantic jet which was way up and it, you could just see the wee dot of the plane, the wee could make out the kind of silver of the plane. But then as you know, the huge tail, as it were, of smoke coming behind that was spreading across the whole sky. So this is what he was meaning, it was so wee and yet it was so big. And it got me thinking, in a sense, that's almost like how it is with ourselves and with God. Not that in any way at all that God is small uh, or that, that he's uh, we, because God is more powerful and bigger than any, anything we can even begin to understand. But so often, as far as we're concerned, because God seems so far away from us. And it's by faith we see him. And so sometimes it's so difficult. We want to see more clearly, but so often we struggle with that. But we see the work of God. It's like he leaves this huge trail, as it were, of all his great work behind. Because the whole creation 
Everything is speaking to us of his power. And when we look up at night and we see the, the moon and the stars and the sun by day and all the different seasons and the weathers we have and the mountains and the sea and ourselves, the human body, everything, we have to say how big, how great God is. And yet, from where we're standing so often, it's, it feels like it's we, he's we in the sense that we can't properly see him. So how best can we see him? Well, as we were saying the other night at the meeting, the, most, um, the key, the, the place where we see our Lord Jesus is in the Bible. Because he is the word. There's a great version, John, which says, the word was made flesh and lived among us. The word became, uh, took a body and lived with us. So this is the word, the living word, Jesus. And if we want to see the Lord more clearly, then it's important that we really, really read and study his word. And you know, there's some more that we do that, the bigger we will see, the bigger God becomes to us, and even the big things that he's left behind, we'll see them as even more wonderful all the time. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to read God's word now from 1 Peter, 1 Peter and chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, 
you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, uh, uh, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable <clears throat> through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading of his own <clears throat> holy word. And I want us this morning to consider a few verses there from verse 13. And we see there that call that's given there to be holy. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, <clears throat> and so on. <clears throat> now, Peter has been termed the the, the the apostle of hope, and that is, of course, because hope features so strongly uh, in his letters. And, of course, hope is something that's at the very 
heartbeat of the Christian life, it's part of our Christian pulse, is hope, faith, hope, and love. These are central and key to what we are and who we are as Christians. And this section here focuses on the hope of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory uh, that will uh, follow on from that. And Peter is reminding us that the return of Jesus Christ has a big or should have a big part to play in how we live and what we are every day of our lives. And so Peter in verse 13 says, preparing your mind, minds for action, being sober-minded. Now the AV, it comes up with the translation, gird up the loins of your mind. Now as we know, in the, in the Middle East, the people wore long flowing robes or, or cloaks. And if they were going to do something that required a lot of effort, and uh, they were going to run somewhere, or there was something that they were going to be really busy, they would, they would pull up the, the, the cloak or the robe that they were wearing and tuck it under their belt. I suppose an equivalent is if we're going to be really involved in something, we take off the jacket, roll up the sleeves. It's something where we're going to commit to, something where there's going to be a lot of energy and output involved. And that's kind of the idea that Peter has here as he is thinking about uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our mindset is absolutely key. Our mindset is so important to what we are. And as Peter is talking about uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's really challenging us to ask, is the return of Jesus Christ something that is at the heart of our thinking as well? Is this something we think about every day? Or is it something that we don't really think about very much at all? Because you see, if the return of Jesus Christ is really at the forefront of our thinking, that will affect our conduct, it'll affect the way we live, it'll affect the way we speak, it'll even affect the way we think. It will have a radical impact upon our lives. And uh, as we know that a person, the Bible tells us, as a person thinks in his heart, that's a real person. And as somebody phrased it, saying, attitude determines action. And there's a lot of truth in that. What our attitude is will very much determine what we do, how we do it, all these things. So, a Christian who's taken up with the return of Jesus Christ will live, I would say, in a kind of a different way to a Christian, or in fact to anybody who's not thinking about the return of Jesus. If, for instance, we knew that Jesus was to return sometime this coming week, that would have a huge impact upon us. And we would be, there's, there's, it's almost guaranteed that we would be living in a particular way. There would be, we would be certainly watching what we're saying and there would be an urgency about our life and about our conduct and about everything. But far too often, sometimes the return of Jesus can be pushed away back. And it's a very solemn thing when, when Christians might even have the mentality that's not quite the same as the world has 
when Peter talks about it in the second letter, where he says, where is the promise of his coming? Because his return is taking so long. And the people almost began to mock and to scoff, saying, well, where, where is the promise of his coming? He hasn't come yet, but he's coming. And we've got to remember that, that even although he delays, he's poised, as it were, to come. James describes his return as the judge with his hand on the handle of the door. And when you get your hand on the handle of the door, it means that you're kind of ready at any moment just to go in to that room. And that's the picture that we have of Jesus, that he's, as it were, that he's ready at any moment to return into this world. And so it's important that our minds are set upon the Lord because it has a huge impact upon our lives. I suppose one of the great illustrations from the Old Testament is Abraham and Lot. Abraham was somebody whose mind was always focused upon the Lord. And most of the decisions that he made were right because his mind was focused on the Lord. There were two or three decisions he made that were wrong. And there were implications to the wrong decisions. And his wrong decisions were made when he wasn't consulting the Lord or trusting the Lord. And then you look at Abraham's nephew Lot. And when Lot had a decision to make, it wasn't God he consulted, but his own heart, his own mind. And he made his decision on what we would term as worldly ways. Because he looked around and about, about and he thought, well, I like the look of down there. In the plains of Sodom, that to me looks the place to be. And at one level you say, well, that's a human decision. That, and you can't blame him at one level. But the problem for Lot was it would look that he, like he made his decision without consulting with God. Because it wasn't very long before he actually had moved into Sodom and had become one of the, the main players. Although he, he didn't accept the lifestyle, he became one of the main players because we find him at the gate of Sodom, which is where the, the chief guys in the place uh, sat. So, and we know what happened there because God's judgment was on it and what Lot's own personal world was turned upside down. He made his decisions. His life was governed without looking to God. And he was a good man, the New Testament tells us, terms him righteous Lot. So we can make our decisions and our life can be impacted by the wrong things. Abram, for the main part, was a man of faith. And he made his decisions by faith. And he kept looking to the Lord, and the Lord blessed him. And we see that in the, there's a, the, the, the life of Abraham. Although had, he had his trials and his testings, was a life that was filled with blessings. So our minds are to be prepared and ready for action. Because, you know, we're, we're like soldiers. We are soldiers. And we're living in enemy territory. And there are traps all around about us to get us. There are snipers from hell who are aiming their arrows at us all the time. And we're in, we're in a conflict. And we've got to be aware of this. That, so it's, it's vital and it's, it's important that our mind is ready and focused, that we are focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told here that we're to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled. In other words, 
there's to be no excesses in our life. And this, does, this affects every area and aspect of our life. So that for the Christian, that means even in the difficult times, even in the trials, that we need to seek for the grace that we don't go too far down or become too, too despondent altogether. And then verse 14 calls us to obedience. Now, obedience leads to obedience. Very simply, the more you obey, the more you will obey. The less you obey, the less likely you are to obey. That's the way it works. And the thing is that obedience to God's word changes who you are. It changes who I am. It's inevitable that you and I will change the closer we live to God's word. Now, you see, God's word is absolutely radical, and it cuts across all that's natural to us. It cuts across the way that we normally live our lives because we live our lives governed and guided by the lusts and the passions of our human nature, and so much of what we do or don't do is governed by these things. But when we come to God's word, God's word is taking us in a different direction. And of course, this is where the great conflict comes in. And you and I know as Christians the bruising and the battering that takes place within because there are two forces at work. You see, God's spirit brings God's word to bear upon our mind, to bear upon our situations. That God's spirit brings God's word, inclining us in particular ways, which so often cut across the way that we would normally go, the way that we might want to go. The one wars against the other, the, the fruit of the spirit, and you have the lusts of the flesh. And these are in conflict one with another. You see, the, our base human nature, our flesh, doesn't just say the lusts and the passions in our life when you become a Christian. They don't, the lusts and the passions and so on don't just say, okay, I'm see that there's, there's someone else that's arrived in here. I'm going to call it quits. I'm not going to bother you anymore. I'm just going to lie down and leave you to get on in your new life. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, in some ways, it's a very reverse. You want a fight, they're kind of saying. Well, we'll give you a fight. And so there is this, every Christian knows of it. That's why the Apostle Paul said, the good that I would, I do not. And the evil that I won't, don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And I'm sure all of us can understand something. We wish that we didn't understand that. We wish that we could say, oh, that's not how it is with me. But you and I know just what it's like there's this ongoing conflict between God's word and God's spirit inclining us one way and the lusts and the passions that are within our heart and within our life going in the other direction. And so this is how we are. And sometimes, sometimes we feel that, it's, that they're almost like, a, like a lusts and passions, like a raging bull that's seen red. But still, we're called on to conform to God's word. And of course, this causes us a lot of distress. 
And there's many a day we've repented and many a day with, even with tears. And we've asked for God's forgiveness because we want to live. See, the Christian wants to live according to God's way. The Christian wants to give obedience. But we know that obedience can often be hard. And that's why I said at the beginning, the more we obey, the more likely we are to obey. Obedience brings obedience. And then there is this call which comes out from this obedience that we are to be holy. Verse 15, but as he is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, be holy for I am holy. As we know, to, to be holy is to be separate. And there are two types of separation that, that God has done and called us to. Uh, there is a separation that is done by God. Because the moment that you become a Christian, God has separated you from this world. You might not realize that, but that has actually happened. You are no longer off the world. You're in the world, but you're no longer off the world. He has separated you. And that separation was done by him. The moment that you're born again, regenerated, the moment that God's Spirit comes into your life, you have been separated by God. But not only are you separated by God, but you're separated for God. In other words, you're separated to live for God so that you're no longer your own. You're now serving God. And that's what God wants, and he wants us to be, to be holy in our service. And this is, it's this holiness of life which reflects himself. You know, we often pray, Lord, help me to become more like yourself. And you know, the the closer we live to the Lord and the more like him we become, of course, the holier our life becomes. And you know, that life has a huge impact upon other people. And when you look back over your life, as I look back over my life, some of the people, and I think of it even before I was a Christian, some of the people who had the greatest impact upon my life were Christians, and it wasn't necessarily by what they said. It's by who they were. They're their life, the way they conducted their life, the way they lived their life, it had, a, it had an impact. But this, of course, was, maybe you didn't realize it, I didn't realize it at the time, it was the Christ that was in them through the work of the Holy Spirit that was evident within them. But it was obvious, it was clear. And so that type of conduct, that's what the Lord is looking for from our lives. As we know, holiness is a big deal. Some people don't think holiness is that big a deal. It's the biggest, probably in many ways, the biggest deal going. Because, as we were saying with the young folk, so often we, we're, we can't see clearly. We want to see more of the Lord, and so often we don't see clearly. Well, without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Holiness is key to seeing the Lord. Remember how Jesus in the Beatitudes says, blessed are the pure in heart. What does it say? For they shall see God. So although it comes at a cost, the obedience and the holiness that God requires, 
the blessings and the benefits that come from it are huge. And so this is what, what God is, is requiring and calling us to be. And then we see, move on in verse 17, we, see, we call on God the Father. And this again is one of the many wonderful privileges that is given to the child of God is that we come into the family of God. We have God as Father. Because the moment we're born again, the moment we're justified, we are also adopted. We're brought into the family of God. All of a sudden, we have loads of brothers and sisters in Christ. I still remember when I first went out to the prayer meeting the very first time. Or maybe the second time, I, I ran home so quickly after the first time, nobody got a chance to speak to me. But the second time, and I couldn't get over the welcome I got. And I couldn't understand it. Why were they welcoming me the way they did? Why did they seem so happy to see me? Of course, as time goes on, I learn and understand that myself. Because it's always a lovely thing when somebody comes to faith. Because that's the response of the Christian churches. When you see someone comes to, come to faith, your heart rejoices. Tells us that there's rejoicing in heaven over everyone that comes in repentance. But there's also rejoicing in the church. And so there's this great sense of here's somebody else plucked as a brand from the burning. Here's somebody else who's brought into our fellowship. Another brother, another sister in Christ. And so there's this sense of welcoming. And it's a wonderful thing to belong uh, to the family of God. But often we don't appreciate just what a privilege that we have. That God is our Father. And you know, that's what we're given. We're given the spirit of adoption. That's one of the things that happens right away when we're converted is that we run to God. Instead of, instead of spending our time running away from God, we run to him. We used to run away from God when we'd be guilty. We used to run away from God when we, when we were trying to block out his invitations, when we were trying to quiet and this, the goings-on within, within us. We were trying to block him out and run away from him. No longer. We find that we're now friends with God. We're family. We go to him. It's easy. We're not having to question and wonder, I wonder if he'll accept me or not. He does. He's inviting us. His word is full of these invitations. So we're able to call him Father. And the actual uh, expression that we have here where it says call him Father has the idea of an appeal. It's the same kind of word that uh, Paul used when he says I appeal to Caesar. Well we can appeal to God. We can call to God. And we do anywhere, anytime. And when your world is thrown upside down and when everything caves in, remember who God is. He is your Father. And He cares and he wants you to call to him. So we have this, this wonderful privilege. And then we're told what God does, that he judges impartially. Isn't that wonderful? In this world, we know there are so many miscarriages of justice. In this world, there are so many people and their hearts are sore because they haven't been dealt with fairly. They're carrying bitter hearts because life has been so unfair. Well, God doesn't deal like that. We will be all judged absolutely accurately. He scrutinizes us. 
He knows everything about us. He knows why we, what makes us tick. He knows our attitudes, our thoughts. He knows every single thing about us. And so in light of this, we are to conduct our lives in an obedient and in a holy manner. And Peter adds, and he adds, in the time of your exile. In other words, this world, you see, that's the thing about this world. Christians live in this world. We live here, but it's, it's not really our place. Because we're just passing through. It's just a temporary accommodation. We're not, going to, we're not going to be around here too long. And so there always has to be this sense of just traveling through in our mind. And I think it's one of the things that often will separate the Christian from the non-Christian is that whatever we have in this world, we hang loosely to it. Yes, we can enjoy this world and enjoy so many of the blessings of it, but there's always this sense of hanging loosely to it because there's nothing in this world that really ties us down. We're exiles, we're, we're journeymen, journeywomen, just as it were, passing through. And then Peter, we're not going to into this, we're just finishing here, reminds us what we were, what has happened to us, how we were ransomed and the huge price that was involved and what we have become. And it's not by silver and gold, although some people seem to think that that is the key to life. It's by the precious blood of Christ, precious blood of the Lamb, without spot or without blemish. The question we have to ask is, what or who, what does Christ mean to you today? Are you aware of being separated by him and separated for him? Is there a desire in your heart today to live for Jesus? Would you like to live for Jesus? If you can say honestly, you know, I really want to live for my Lord. And if actually you say that, then you're a Christian. I believe that the church is full of people who have never fully understood that they've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that, there's, that there are a lot more uh, people who have come to faith than actually have, are in membership within our churches. Because so often people are looking for something else. They're looking for some great big moment. Something like the Saul of Tarsus kind of idea. But you know, we pass from death to life. And like the, like the blind man, when they, when they asked him, we've so often said that, look, what, what, what happened? What happened? I said, I have no idea what happened. can't tell you. But I'll tell you one thing, I was blind, and now I see. And if you're seeing sufficient of the Lord Jesus, if you're seeing sufficient, that makes you want to live for him, that you want to be with the Lord, then it's only grace that says that. The world doesn't say that. The world doesn't want Christ. So if today in your heart you're saying, I, I want the Lord, I want to be one with the Lord, then that's grace speaking. So you make sure and ask the Lord to take you over whatever is hindering you so that you'll come to really to know him and to come to that full assurance of faith so that you will live with him and live for him.
in this world. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks again for your word. We pray that you will enrich our lives through it and that you'll take us to our home safely. Do us good, we pray, cleansing us from our every sin. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We're going to conclude singing from Sing Psalms in Psalm 130. We'll sing the whole psalm, Psalm 130, from Sing Psalms. Lord, from the depths I call to you. Lord, hear me from on high, and give attention to my voice when I for mercy cry. Lord, in your presence, who can stand if you our sins record? But yet forgiveness is with you that we may fear you, Lord. I wait, my soul waits for the Lord. My hope is in his word. More than the watchman waits for dawn, my soul waits for the Lord. O Israel, put your hope in God. For mercy is with him and full redemption from their sins, his people he'll redeem. Psalm 130, the whole psalm, Lord, from the depths I call to you. Lord, from the depths I call to you. Lord, hear me from on high and give attention to my voice. His people 
may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.